Hi, I'm Tim Cosgrove, General Manager at CMA's Colonial Honda. It's no secret that we are in uncharted waters, but that doesn't mean we should be afraid. Because now is an opportunity to do something heroic. We realize that this is the time to organize a blood drive, help our elderly neighbors with groceries, and assist local nonprofits. And that's exactly what CMA's Colonial Honda is doing. In fact, we set up a helpline to assist people in our community in any way that we can. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance, you can reach our CMA helpline at 434-220-8885. Again, our CMA helpline is 434-220-8885. And of course, if you're in need of any automotive help, we are taking extra precautions to keep our dealership clean. To learn more, visit cmascolonialhonda.com. We applaud you for helping one another during this time. You have inspired us to do the same. CMA's Colonial Honda, moving lives forward. Hear ye, hear ye. It's time for the Sports King Show, live on Sports 1061. The show with scores, interviews, the hottest topics, and the biggest sports stories of the day. It's the show where you'll hear from the players that make the plays, as well as the key coaches and personnel who make it happen. All of this and live phone calls from you, the Sports King Nation. Now, direct from his castle, located in an undisclosed location in the capital city of Richmond, Virginia, let's welcome to the throne, His Highness, Jamie King, the Sports King, on Sports 106.1. And good Wednesday morning, and boy, am I excited about this one, folks. When you grow up and you have heroes and you get to do a job like I do, and you have an opportunity to then talk to those heroes, uh, the circle becomes complete. You get so excited, and the fan in me comes out because growing up uh, in the DMV, of course, Baltimore and uh, the district in Virginia, uh, when you grew up where I did, uh, you know, you had to pick sides, and they'd say, hey, what team are you going to be or what quarterback are you going to be? And someone may say Joe Theismann, of course, being the Washington side. And if you had that side, then you had to pick the next closest, which, of course, was Bird Jones. So the thing about it was when I got to be Bird Jones, that was a highlight for me because it was good and bad because I knew when I was Bird Jones, not only had to throw the ball extra hard because he had one of the greatest arms in history, but I also knew I had to run and run over people because Bird Jones did that too. So this is absolutely an honor for me. I've been wanting this guy on for so long. And from Louisiana, we welcome now to the Sports King Show the legendary Bird Jones. Bert, we can't thank you enough for joining us today. Well, my pleasure. How are you doing today? Man, I'm doing great. This is such an honor for me personally. As I said, grew up, uh, uh, you were one of my heroes watching you play and the way you played. Um, when I look at your career, when you started out, of course, Rustin High School and you became the Rustin Rifle, who gave you that nickname starting out? I know the arm strength was, was there, obviously, but who gave you that nickname? Oh, I think it was probably OK Buddy Davis, who is a local sports writer here in Rustin, either he or Paul Manassa, who is a sports information director at LSU. Both of them had Ruston roots, as did I, since I grew up in Ruston and presently and have continually lived in Ruston my whole life. So I think it was between the two of them they came up with that uh, oh, nickname, so to speak. 
Well, I tell you what, before I get going into my questions, I've got to say Big Al, who has sports phone on the show before us, told me to mention this, that you have a hunting buddy in this area, Robert Pratt. So he's told me to mention that to you, and that might get a smile out of you. Uh, hopefully that got the smile we were looking for. Oh, yeah, Robert and I and a number of my teammates have always enjoyed the outdoors together. As a matter of fact, Robert came down. He comes quail hunting and duck hunting with me most every year. And uh, he actually came down and fished. I have a place down, uh, if you remember Deepwater Horizon, I have a place down in Venice, Louisiana. And he came down there fishing with me this fall. Wow, that's awesome. Okay, well, I wanted to get that out of the way, so we got that local tie-in there. I've got to ask you, uh, when you came out of high school, were you always just, you had that rifle arm. Was it always something, uh, did you do baseball, do other sports, or was football your primary sport coming out of high school? Well, actually, I I was a baseball pitcher, and I actually even tried to play or pitch for the LSU Tigers when I went to LSU, mainly to get out of spring training. I thought it was <laughs> a good way to get hurt, and I did love baseball. So, no, I was a baseball pitcher in high school. Matter of fact, we won state championship in baseball. Wow. Unbelievable. And, of course, outstanding career at LSU. When did things uh, through LSU, did you start thinking, hey, I could do this for a living? Uh, when did the picture really become clear to you and you said, hey, I'm going to make a run at this next level? The first grade. Uh, Of course, I grew up in a unique environment in that my father was a professional football player. My father is Dub Jones, who's uh, 95 now, and he played 10 years for the Cleveland Browns. And then when I was 11 years old, he, he, after he had retired from playing, he came back and started coaching and was the offensive coordinator for the Cleveland Browns. And so I spent all of my summers from 11 years old until my senior year in high school uh, in Hiram, Ohio, at the Cleveland Browns training camp. So, actually, when I went to college, I didn't really think I was going to college to play football. I was thinking that I was going to college to complete the next step to play professional football. Well, you did just that, of course, during your 17 games at LSU, completing 52.6% of your passes for 3,225 yards, 28 touchdowns. You finished uh, fourth in the vote for the Heisman Trophy and named the National Collegiate Player of the Year by the Sporting News. Just an outstanding career. And then, of course, 1973, the draft, uh, nearly the first pick. You were the second pick overall. Talk about that emotional moment for you and what did it mean going to Baltimore right out of LSU? Oh, Baltimore was a great place. What a, a fabulous tradition. They've always had great quarterbacks, and I was coming in right behind John Unitas, who, you know, is is a legend and was a fabulous player and, and was a good friend while I was in Baltimore. So I was very comfortable going to Baltimore, even though I had grown up as uh, uh, the ball boy for the Cleveland Browns. I was just happy to be in the league. You know, many people with that shadow of Johnny U coming in there might have been intimidated, but you took it and you you made your own path, carved your own path, and everybody there in Baltimore, you're so beloved to this day in Baltimore because it wasn't like you worried about what Johnny did. He did his thing, but you did yours, and you set your own example out there, and fans loved you. And I'm going to tell you to this day, when I mentioned the fans yesterday you were coming on the show, the first thing everybody started flooding me with was, 
you know that's the toughest guy ever played the position. And, and the fact your intensity and your toughness, can you speak to that? Because a lot of guys would run out of bounds. You were looking to take somebody on all the time. And where did that come from? I think that came from being about a half bubble off. Um, <laughs> as, as they would say, uh, I, I was kind of a, a, a linebacker playing quarterback. It, it yes. was not the smartest thing, but, uh, you know, I played with great intensity and sometimes to my detriment. And uh, But I enjoyed the game, and I figured they paid me to play, and if I could possibly walk on the field, I was going to. Can you talk about the connections? Because I remember growing up, like it's yesterday, the Roger Cars and the Glenn Downies, Raymond Chester's, your receiving core, and you guys were on the same sheet of music. How much work you put in? You made it look so easy, but I know the work you put in to, to become so great at uh, those connections was, was something else. Well, it did take a lot of work, uh, you know, just in that you had Roger Carr with unbelievable speed, uh, hands and tenacity to get open. Uh, but I also had Glenn Dowdy, who was probably the best possession pass receiver I've ever had. If I had to get seven or eight yards, I knew you could always get in the inside position on a quick slant and complete it there. He was tough, had good hands. Then you had Raymond Chester, who was strong, big, lanky, and could run. And so he was not only a tight end threat that you'd think over the middle, but he was also a deep threat. So it was a lot of fun. We had a, a lot of skilled players. Of course, you can't overlook Lydell Mitchell and Don McCauley in the backfield, who who also worked as receivers uh, and, and, and did just a really good job. Yeah, I was going to say that Lytle Mitchell, I never, uh, very rarely you ever see a receiving running back do the things he did, and you utilize him so perfectly out of the backfield with McCauley. Just unbelievable, the running attack you had as well. But when I get back to looking at some of your injuries, at one stage you had four broken ribs on the left side of your rib cage for seven consecutive weeks, and you said you'd go in sometimes during halftime or different portions of a game, get x-rayed just to make sure nothing was puncturing your lungs. I mean, this was something, I mean, by comparison, and I'm not saying guys today are tough, but these guys sometimes today will be out if they stub their toe. You're playing with broken ribs. I mean, can you speak to that uh, toughness aspect of what you brought to the game? Oh, I think it goes back to that being about a half bubble off. Um <laughs> I'm not. Once again, I'm not sure it was the smartest thing, but uh, it was. It was one of those things that you just kind of did. Uh, back then, we used uh, different means to uh, numb the pain. That I, I don't think they probably do that today, and it lasted for about a quarter at a time. So, uh, and Johns Hopkins, I think uh, I was told that this was the first portable X-ray machine there was, and they. They put it in the dugout in the hall there uh, in Memorial Stadium. So uh, I can remember Dr. McDonald telling me, now breathe through your nose, breathe through your nose. And I would say, why do you want to breathe through the nose? And he would say, well, if you're bleeding, then we'll, that means that your lung is fucked. <laughs> <laughs> these, these are things that I really don't revel uh, repeating, but it was a lot. Of, it was just. Uh, the way things were, and it was all good. And and I, if I had better sense 
back then, I probably would have changed things, but I guess I didn't. Our special guest, legendary quarterback for the Baltimore Colts, Burt Jones. Ernie Acorsi, of course, the highly respected scout, uh, was quoted as saying about Burt Jones, had he played under different circumstances, he probably would have been the greatest player ever. And John Riggins, of course, Redskins fans, you all know John. He's been quoted as saying that Burt Jones was the toughest competitor he ever witnessed. Now think about that for a minute. So, And uh, Bill Belichick went on to say in discussing his choices for the greatest quarterbacks of all time, uh, he described Burt Jones as the best pure passer he's ever seen. To hear that from arguably the greatest coach of all time, what does that mean to you? Well, those certainly are, are, are great compliments coming from, from great people within the NFL. Ernie, of course, he is, was a friend and was in Baltimore and is still a dear friend. When I go to New York, uh, one of my first stops on the east side of Oh, about 85th Street to say hello to Ernie. And, uh, of course, John Riggins. I mean, you want to talk about a competitor and, and a man that's done so much for so many, uh, not only on the football field, but John Riggins and his wife were instrumental in, in increasing uh, through this last collective bargaining agreement for the older players. I, right. You know, I have a good job and I have a good business, but there are a lot of players in, in during my tenure and my time that aren't and weren't as fortunate as I, um, and and they needed the extra assistance. And I am ever thankful to John Reagan for doing that. And of course, Billy Belichick is uh, undoubtedly one of the greatest coaches that has ever walked into the NFL. And I had the uh, the wonderful opportunity to kind of be his first landing spot in the NFL. He came up there with Ted Marchabroder and worked with Ted and Maxie Bone and and really learned uh, that was the beginning of his education in the NFL. And we worked very closely. And he's he is a fabulous coach and he's done wonderful things. Boy, I tell you what, I don't know if you hunted with him, but boy, I could, uh, I would love to have a camera and see you and uh, Rigo out in the woods doing some hunting and talking. I bet those stories would be something to, that's a campfire I'd like to sit by and listen. Oh, I hear you. Well, John's a great guy and, and he is a good outdoorsman. I don't know if you knew that or not. But, yep, yep, uh, yep, yep. And, but what a competitor he was both for the Jets and the Redskins. So, uh, I've always admired him and he was about, a half bubble off too, so I hope he doesn't hear this. But I, he and I were were not your normal uh, uh, types, and well, I guess we were back then. But uh, he equally was as as nuts on the field as what I was. Well, I love it. I love it. Bird Jones. Hey, uh, our good friend Mark Rippin, Super Bowl MVP, uh, Super Bowl twenty six during the ninety one season was sacked two times. I was looking through and going through your bio. Oh, and I think I still have a record, don't I? <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> October 26, 1980. Folks, St. No, Louis. No, 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 St. Louis, exactly. Burt Jones, NFL history, sacked 12 times in a game. And conversely, mm-hmm. Mark Rippon talks about that year where he went two sacks for the entire season. So uh, that'll tell you what. Uh, Bert Jones had to put up back in 1980 and that game I'm sure you don't want to remember it but man what a beating that game you took uh, 12 times oh, they got a to a lot you. of that was self-imposed probably holding the ball too long just ask Robert Pratt 
about the first time he let Jerry Shirk uh, uh, sack me in the backfield. I think he was a young player, but it would be a story that may not be worthy of a radio conversation, but it, it there is a lot of humor there. Wow, that's awesome. And Burt Jones, of course, Pro Bowl 1976, most valuable player in 1976, NFL Offensive Player of the Year. Can you talk about that 76 year? It's so special for you. And being the MVP of the league, what did that year mean to you? Oh, it was just a, a, a great year. But I, as crazy as it sounds, 75 uh, was a bigger turnaround and a bigger uh, event. Uh, I don't know if you remember, 73, 74, uh, we were – we were in the cellar, and I think we were two and twelve in '74. And then Coach Marchabroda came in uh, and kind of turned things around. The draft, uh, my draft class had matured. We we're three-year players then, and kind of knew what to do. We won our first game, lost four, and then won nine in a row uh, for the rest of the season, which I think then for sure and possibly still now is the greatest turnaround in the history of the NFL in in one division from being last place to first place in the division with that kind of turnaround. 76 was a great year. Roger Carr had a great year. Glenn Daddy had a great year. Raymond Chester had a great year. The offensive line worked like the cohesive unit that they always did, did a good job. Our running backs did well. Our defense and the sack pack gave us plenty of opportunity to be on the field as an offensive unit, and it was very fortunate. Unfortunately, we either had to play Pittsburgh or Oakland uh, in the playoffs, and if you're a history major, you know that both of them won, I think, Pittsburgh four Super Bowls in the 70s and Oakland two or three. So uh, the AFC were champs, and we always had to play the champs first in the playoffs and and didn't always come out on top. Yeah, when you look at the, your AFC titles and your Pro Bowls and your Most Valuable Player Awards, of course, not able to win that Super Bowl because, of course, the dominance of Oakland and Pittsburgh during that stretch, just unbelievable teams you went up against. When you look back at your illustrious career, is there one particular moment or one particular honor that stands above the rest? You know, there's really not. As I reflect back on my career, um, the things that come to mind are the players that I played with and my teammates and my opponents and the opposing coaches and the venues that I played in. Uh, From, you know, Cleveland Stadium for my first game as a professional quarterback uh, to Memorial Stadium in Baltimore, I knew every person in the stands or I could tell the temperament of the stands they were just a wonderful group they knew when to cheer and they knew when to express their disappointment um, and I, I laughed I went into the Raven Stadium uh, not so long ago and I heard some of the same voices there so I knew that the police, they had taken their season tickets from the old Memorial Stadium over to the other side so that's really what I think about, not just the the, the games or the awards. It's just the people that you uh, lived with, played with, and became a part of your life during that time and the places that you got to play and the people that you saw. 
Boy, he's one of a kind. Bird Jones, number seven, Baltimore Colts. And let me ask you now, with the Ravens taking over where the Colts, of course, the Colts move on and they're in Indy. Are you kind of divided, your love for the Ravens and Indy Colts? Where do you fall now in terms of who you support? Yes. <laughs> okay. I got you. I'm not going to pull that one I, out of you. <laughs> I love the city of Baltimore. Baltimore uh, is my second home. Uh, I, I was a Colt uh, for the major part of my career, and I hold close to the heart, my heart, uh, that Colts emblem. Uh, so I'm a fan of both. Uh, yep. You know, Jimmy Ursay is a friend who's the owner of the Colts, and he's done wonderful things there. Uh, and I love the city of Baltimore, so uh, I know people in both places, and I can't help but say that I'm a fan of both. Bert, uh, Tom Woods, who's watching us on Facebook Live as well as Sports 106.1, they had a question do you have an Artie Donovan story uh, in terms of, I know he did some of the color uh, for the Colts broadcast. Anything funny with Artie and yourself? Artie and I were dear friends. Uh, I lived uh, up the road from the stadium uh, on on the north side of town, and Artie had a liquor store, uh, and he he was there, which was about, four or five blocks down the road from where I was. So it was on the way to the stadium. So every morning I'd go in and I was kind of an old country boy wearing cowboy boots and holes in my blue jeans. Uh, I guess that was before it was cool. And I'd come in there and I came from Louisiana and we didn't have the lottery. And so I'd come in there with a dollar bill in the morning and I'd go, Artie, Artie, this is my last dollar. You gotta give me a winning lottery ticket. He says, Jones, get out of here. You're gonna run all my customers off. But we used to always sit down, have a cup of coffee, and if you want to talk about a man that was funny, I don't oh, yeah. know anybody else that had more humor in their life than Art Donovan. Well, uh, you know, that's that's for sure. We've had him on the show years ago. He just hilarious just to wind him up and let him go. When I talked to you about what you're doing now. Of course, the transition. Many players you mentioned earlier aren't as successful. You made a transition in your family business uh, in the lumber business. Can you talk about how hard it was to go from playing? Of course, uh, as you said, the doctors did not advise you to stop playing because of your neck injury. They said that you had to, and I know that was very tough on you. Uh, you were very upset, of course, at your final press conferences. Anybody would be uh, walking away from the game you love. Can you talk about the transition from a great uh, honored football player into the private sector? Well, once again, I had a unique uh, rearing, so to speak, in that my father played professional football for 10 years, and he coached. And I spent every summer in training camp from when I was 11 to my senior year in high school. So I was quite aware that that, that door that you're walking through is going to close behind you one day. So I was always cognizant of the fact that I was going to have to find something to do when that day did come. Of course, it came prematurely for me in that I was 31 years old in the prime of my career and broke my neck. Uh, of course, that's if Ann and Buster for sure, good nuts, we'd all have a Merry Christmas too. But during that time, uh, I, I, I knew I was going to have to do something. And actually, while I was playing in Baltimore in 1978, my brother, Bill, who was practicing law in Houston, we both wanted to come back 
to Ruston and live and, and, and raise our family. So he and I bought some property. There was an old watermelon patch out here. We picked the last watermelon patch. And then we built our lumber manufacturing plant here uh, in Simsboro, which is about, oh, eight or nine miles from my house on the west side of Ruston. And it's kind of scary. Forty-something, 41 years later, we started in 79, completed and started treating and shipping lumber back then. So while I was playing football for the Colts in the off-season, I would come back here and work in the lumber business. So it was a... An, I'm not going to say an easy transition because I used my football to support my lumber habit. And and finally it matured enough so that my lumber habit was able to support my family and the 40 or so other people that work here every day. I asked Mark Rippon the question. I said, hey, Mark, if you could come back for one 10-day contract and if you had to be put in that final two minutes, uh, maybe take that one last drive, could you go deep anymore? And he said, you know, I don't know about deep. I, I think I hit that 35-yard out once at least. What about you, Bird Jones? Uh, two minutes left on the clock. You got to go in and lead him down. You still got a series left there? I think I'll probably have to hand it off. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get Lydell back there, and I think it'll work out real well. Hey, listen, we hope <laughs> we think you're in good shape as long as you hand off to that guy. So uh, any final thoughts as we're getting through a pandemic situation that is unprecedented? Uh, We wish you and your family the very best of health and safety down there. Uh, Any words uh, in terms of uh, offerings to the the folks listening in terms of uh, staying positive through this very tough time? It is a very tough time. And, and of course, in Louisiana, as in just about every state in our country, we were hard hit and we have taken it very seriously seriously as it relates to our work environment, our workplace. As a matter of fact, uh, when when it came in and, and we did, we, we closed our whole mill, I sent all 40 folks home and said, look, we're going to learn how to live through this. And, and I have maintained all of my employees on staff, and we have gingerly and gently brought them back and, we have taught social distancing and how to wear a mask and how to wear gloves and maintain a safe working environment. Uh, so we have learned the new way of life that we're going to have to live until we figure out either A, a cure, to a vaccine. But uh, as, as I like to say, our new normal is 8 yeah. to 10 feet away and wear a mask and, and pretend as I have on my door, I may have the virus, so let's keep our distance. Okay. Well, we just found out. I was handed a note that Robert Pratt will be on the Big Al Show tomorrow morning. So how about Ask that Robert booking? Pratt about Jerry Shirk. Do me Jerry a favor. Shirk. Jerry Shirk was a friend of mine because he played for the Cleveland Browns, and I was a ball boy when he was there, and Jerry Shirk was a fabulous defensive tackle and robert was a fabulous offensive guard but i was running around there going crazy and somehow robert just absolutely blew it let's see if he tells the same story (laughs) (laughs) so he got you hit huh Oh, I'm not going to say he did anything. Let's listen okay. and see what he has to say. But uh, listen, it, we, we laugh about that to the day. 
I, I'm going to tell you right now, uh, I, I know you've got a lot going on today. I can't thank you enough for taking time out. I would love you to come back because uh, I can just sit there and think about hunting with Bert Jones, sitting around a campfire and just listening to the stories you have and all the great things you did. And I, I tell you, I, I only have a little time with you here to go through every record and everything you've done. It would take me days. But uh, this has been an honor for me, and I really hope you'll come back to the show because it's been so nice catching up with you. Well, I appreciate that, and you really need to raise the bar. This is not an honorable event. It's just a day in the life of us. Come on, man. Anyway, we thank you so much, Bert. Good luck to you, and uh, we wish you all well down there, and we hope to have you back soon. Thank you very much. Bert Jones, a legend from Baltimore. Man, I tell you what, uh, it, it doesn't get any better than that. That is football royalty. We're going to take a timeout. Come back. You're listening to Sports King on Sports 1061. Hi, this is Andre Collins, former Washington Redskin and Super Bowl champ. You're listening to Jamie King on the Sports King for 106.1. Coastal Carolina University offers you the academic experiences you need to succeed after college. From marine science to computer science, from theater to music technology, from hospitality management to health administration, there is a place for you at Coastal Carolina University. With inspired learning opportunities in the classroom, in the field, online, and around the world, Coastal Carolina offers the opportunities to support and empower your success. Visit coastal.edu to learn more. Hi, it's the Sports King, Jamie King, and I'm here to offer you truly life-changing advice. If you or someone you know suffers from foot pain, don't delay. Take immediate action and visit the podiatry centers of Dr. Paul Ross with two offices to serve you, Bethesda, Maryland, and Springfield, Virginia. I know firsthand he changed my life and totally restored my foot. He will do the same for you. That's the podiatry center of Dr. Paul Ross. For more information, go to paulrossdpm.com. That's paulrossdpm.com. Hi, I'm Tim Cosgrove, GM at CMA's Colonial Honda. It's no secret that we are in uncharted waters, but that doesn't mean we should be afraid because we are doing everything we can to keep our dealership clean and offering delivery services to minimize exposure. We've also opened a helpline for assistance of any kind, including grocery or medication pickup. Please call our CMA helpline at 434-220-8885. Visit cmascolonialhonda.com to learn more. CMA's Colonial Honda, moving lives forward. Sports King Nation, want to take part in the show? Here's your chance to call the studio line. 804-327-0888. That's 804-327-0888. Oh, yeah. Feeling the groove. Doing the bull dance. Feeling the groove on a Wednesday morning on the Sports King Show. We thank you for joining us. Oh, my goodness, man, was that special for me. Burt Jones and, you know, all those neighborhood pickup games. If you weren't a Redskin, you could be a Colt. And, uh, of course, you weren't Johnny Unitas, you could be Burt Jones. And, you know, Burt Jones, man, loved to run people over. Man, he was tough. He played for seven weeks with broken ribs. And at halftime, he would go in and they uh, would do uh, an X-ray just to see if it wasn't puncturing any area near his lung. And he was telling me about that. And, man, this guy's tougher than a $2 steak, man. I'm telling you, unbelievable toughness. Burt Jones, I really enjoyed that. Thank you, Burt. And coming up, Mike Bragg in hour number two, Redskin player. And I should have mentioned that Burt um, ran out of time, but he actually teammates with uh, Mike Bragg on that particular Colts team. And uh, we'll talk about that with Mike coming up. I do want to go around the sports world here 
and give some kudos. First one I'm going to do is for former NFL star wide receiver Chad Johnson. He of the Cincinnati Bengals. I want to give him some applause. He left a waiter a $1,000 tip for his dining service at a Florida restaurant amid the coronavirus pandemic. Congratulations on reopening, he said. Thank you, Ben Maitland. And Chad Johnson wrote on his receipt, I hope this I hope this helps. I love you, Johnson wrote Monday on his $37 tab. Chad Johnson, $37 was his bill. $1,000 was his tip. It's in the hole. Absolutely phenomenal. This guy gets it. And another reason I love Chad Johnson, of course, you can say, well, he was a little over the top, a little eccentric when he played, the Hall of Fame jacket, all the fun things he did. He didn't hurt anybody. Chad Johnson's a good guy. He gave his best. You can say what you want, whether you're a fan or not, but this guy, when I see a Blake Snell from Tampa Bay in baseball saying, not going to play baseball if I don't get my $50 million every penny. i got to have every single penny or I'm not playing baseball. On one side of the coin, Chan Johnson gets a $37 bill and tips $1,000 because Chad Johnson gets it. And when Chad Johnson wrote on the note, congrats on reopening, I'm sorry about the pandemic. I love you and I hope this helps. Chad Johnson is my hero of the week for doing what's right. And folks, don't get me wrong. If I was in Chad Johnson's financial situation and the guy's multi-multi-millionaire, to do stuff like that, uh, or even if you have $10, 15 $20, whatever you can leave, if you have a little extra for the service workers and the people delivering the food, please do it. I'm not saying take your last dollar, but I am saying please be generous when you can and if you can. Um and he also talked about uh, on the receipt, Proverbs 11.25, a Bible verse that states, quote, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed, end quote. So Chad Johnson, Ocho Cinco, dropping a $1,000 tip. Unbelievable. And that makes me smile so much. Of course, other restaurants and retail shops in Florida started opening earlier this month after Governor Ron DeSantis loosened some of the restrictions under the stay-at-home order. So great things happening there. We're hearing more and more around the sports world about things coming back. We can't wait. Tom Glavin, of course, my man Ben Maitland, my producer, a huge Tom Glavin fan, of course, of the Atlanta Braves. The former Atlanta Braves great has a word of warning to baseball, and he may have been listening to the Sports King because I'm telling you right now, Tom Glavin gets it too. He expressed concern about the salaries for a potential coronavirus being affected for 2020. He said you might take the blame for the sport not resuming. Glavin, who served as a players union rep during the baseball strike of 94-95, compared the situation of the current suspension of play to a story which was published in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution on Tuesday. Glavin went on to say, quote, if it were to come down to an economic issue, and that's the real base re reason baseball doesn't come back, you're looking at a situation similar to the strike year 94-95 as far as fans are concerned, end quote. Glavin went on to say even if players were 100% justified in what they're complaining about, they're still going to look bad. They're not going to look bad. They're going to look horrific because here's the deal. All these other leagues and teams are trying to open up, but it's baseball. The greed of baseball is turning people off. 
The league also reportedly told players that the league now will lose a reported $4 billion even if the season's played. Those financial figures relate to how much players will make this year. The sides had agreed in March that players would make a prorated salary based on games played, but owners voted last week to propose salaries to be based on a 50-50 split of revenue. So here's the deal. I understand players want all their money. I would want all my money. But in this situation amidst the pandemic, you got to give. A 50-50 split for a year isn't ideal. I understand that. But when you're sitting there and the average person out here working 40 hours for uh, peanuts compared to what you're making, uh, yes, you may have to make a couple million versus the tens of millions. And you might have to uh, reduce your game salary to 30000 a game versus your regular 150000 a game or whatever the numbers are. But when you look and they say that $4 billion estimated losses for Major League Baseball is what's going to happen if the season is even played. Okay, that's in the best-case scenario. And then you got players saying, hey, you know what? I don't care about that. It's about me and mine, and I've got to get mine. So absolutely stinks. It's horrific. Baseball is getting a black eye over this, and they should. Somebody on the higher end of baseball has to say, guys, if you don't give back, you're going to kill the game. And that's what's going to happen. Let's be honest about this. It is going to happen. What's your take? 804-327-0888. 804-327-0888 is the number. And I'm telling you right now, baseball needs to come back. Great American game. Uh, we need it. We want it. But I don't care if a few knuckleheads at the top that are making great money are going to dictate and tell all the other players that, hey, we're not going back because I'm not getting mine at the top end. Well, you know. Bottom line is it's not going to sit well with the American public and is really going to be a bad thing for baseball. Glavin is right. I think they need to have cooler heads prevail, come back. And if $4, million, $4 billion is going to be lost to baseball, they need to come back and take one on the chin and basically say we will take it uh, for the team and do something right for the American public, which is what we need to see. But that remains to be seen. I don't think it's going to happen, but we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, the Last Dance, of course, Jason Heher did a great job on this one, but uh, some cr some critics coming out, including uh, former Bulls star forward Horace Grant, he fired back at claims about Michael Jordan uh, that uh, he was a snitch during The Last Dance. Uh, some people felt that it was Grant that uh, spoke with his close friend uh, Sam Smith, an investigative reporter, about uh, the inner workings of the Bulls, the Jordan rules, and uh, there's all kinds of comments there. And basically, Horace Grant uh, took a lot of heat from Jordan, and he said stuff on planes like, don't give to stewardess, don't give him anything to eat, things like that. You don't know if it was in jest or if he meant it seriously, but nonetheless, uh, some situations occurred. Now they're basically having some words back and forth, and there's some ill feelings here. It's a shame because these guys won three world championships together. But uh, for whatever reason right now, they're not getting along. So some real hard feelings between Horace Grant and Michael Jordan over this. And some of the players in this actual documentary are not happy because they feel they were not portrayed correctly, including Scottie Pippen. Uh, some people felt it made him look like he was selfish. Of course, he didn't go out for that one game, and Tony Kukoc hit the game winner with 1.2 seconds left. He didn't even get on the court, and it made him look bad there. His contract demands made him look bad. Scottie Pippen, folks, make no bones about this. If he doesn't play with the Bulls, they don't win all those titles. 
He was the Robin to the Batman of Michael Jordan. He was so essential to them. Scottie Pippen will go down as one of the great players in NBA history, rightfully so. And without him, the Bulls will not win it because not only was Pippen a great offensive threat, but on the defensive end, uh, going against Scottie Pippen, you had to really buckle down because you knew it was going to be an all-day job because he gave you everything he had on the defensive end. So Scottie Pippen was dominant and uh, did things at both ends of the court. A guy that uh, played uh, hurt in one of the actual series, uh, his back was bothering him so bad it was surprising that he even made it through the game. We want to go now to some comments during that last dance um, documentary. Here's Horace Grant in his comments in regards to the Michael Jordan situation as far as whether he snitched or not. Here's Horace Grant. As I stated, if MJ had a grudge with me, let's settle it like, man, let's talk about it, or we can settle, settle it another way. But yet and still, he goes out and put this lie out that I was the source behind. My point is that he called, he said I was a snitch, but yet and still, after 30 or 35 years, he brings up uh, one of his teammates' room, his woman teammates' room, and saying coke and weed and women. What's that got to do with anything? If you want to call somebody a snitch, that's a damn snitch right there. So Horace Grant calling Michael Jordan a snitch for uh, commenting in one of the series uh, episodes where he basically was talking about he went to a room uh, early in his career, obviously, and there were women and uh, marijuana and drugs and all, alcohol and everything, and he didn't want to be a part of it. So many people felt he pointed fingers there against his teammates. And then Grant went on to talk about Charles Barkley and Jordan being such great friends for 20 to 30 years. And then uh, you remember famously Charles Barkley said something on a telecast about Michael's management with the Charlotte Bobcats or Charlotte Hornets at the time, and they haven't spoken since then. And uh, the point is that many people feel that Jordan uh, can freeze you out if you say anything against him that he's not happy with. He's being painted as a guy that can hold a grudge, and I think you got that from the actual Last Dance documentary. Jordan was somebody that, you know, if you're Team Michael, you're going to be there and um, doesn't like uh, a lot of the uh, uh, perceived uh, slights against him. And if you do, you do it at your own peril. But right now, he and Horace Grant, the former forward, are at each other's uh uh, next in terms of uh, this back and forth right now. It's unfortunate to see because the guys did win three world titles together. So we hope they can work through that in a situation that uh, we're going to keep an eye on there. But right now, Horace Grant is definitely having his side of the stories being told. Nobody would like that as a player. And when you think about your career, you want to be known for winning three titles, not for being a snitch on a documentary that was the number one show in all of the world in terms of uh, the success of the actual documentary. I wouldn't like it either, and it's something that Horace Grant is very upset about. Uh, switching gears, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, not everybody's quarter uh, happy about the uh, quarterback Ben Roethlisberger getting a haircut and beard trim, although he needed it. Uh, boy, his beard was out of control, but during a daily briefing on Tuesday, Pennsylvania Governor Tom Wolf openly criticized Roethlisberger's recent trip to Norman's Cut and Edge Barbershop in Sewickley, Pennsylvania, to get his hair cut and beard trimmed following a workout with his Pittsburgh Steeler teammates. In many counties, including Allegheny, are in the, quote, yellow, end quote, phase of reopening, which does not include barbershops and hair salons. Those establishments will be permitted to open once uh, counties have moved to the green phase during the coronavirus pandemic. Folks in Pennsylvania are losing their minds. They are so upset with the governor there about some of these uh, stay-at-home orders. 
And uh, Wolf went on to say that uh, my concern is just a general concern. Anybody who puts himself or herself in a harm's way is something that I think we have to try to avoid. When you go to something like a barbershop and you're not protected, I don't care who you are, the chances of the virus actually wreaking havoc on your life increases. I don't personally think any Pennsylvanian ought to take that chance. I certainly don't want to take that chance myself. So unfortunate situation now. Uh, but Roethlisberger went online and posted a video with himself getting his hair cut in a trim. Boy, you can't make this stuff up. So Big Ben now looking a little better before he looked like uh, something out of the Mountain Men episode as that long, long beard is now trimmed. He's looking better, and he's ready to go to work for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Going to take a time out, come back, uh, top of the hour coming up, and then next hour it's going to be Mike Bragg, former teammate of Burt Jones and former Redskin punter. He'll be here as the Sports King rolls on this Wednesday morning. Hey guys, this is Tress Wave, punter for the Redskins, and you're listening to the Sports King on Sports 1061. Hi, it's the Sports King, Jamie King, and I'm here to offer you truly life-changing advice. If you or someone you know suffers from foot pain, don't delay. Take immediate action and visit the podiatry centers of Dr. Paul Ross with two offices to serve you, Bethesda, Maryland, and Springfield, Virginia. I know firsthand he changed my life and totally restored my foot. He will do the same for you. That's the podiatry center of Dr. Paul Ross. For more information, go to paulrossdpm.com. That's paulrossdpm.com. You're listening to a man whose future is so bright, he's got to wear shades. The Sports King on Sports 106.1. And welcome back. Wednesday edition of the Sports King. Fired up on this Wednesday. Got to speak to a childhood hero of mine, Burt Jones. And I know you may say, well... You're a fanboy. Yes, I am. I'm a fan of the game. I'm a fan of these guys. And when I have the opportunity to speak to somebody I grew up watching, just so exciting for me. The kid comes out at me, and I don't make any apologies about it. I love Bird Jones. And that guy just I loved everything about him as a player. I always look forward to watching him, of course, being a Skins fan. Of course, he's in Baltimore, but I still uh, always love Bird Jones. And, and to talk to him and have him on the show, just exciting for me today. I really enjoyed that. And... Uh, some folks uh, texted me and asked about the comments about Sports King and yoga. And if I was serious or if I was joking, Sports King is serious. As my commercial says, how flexible I am. I can't do Tuesdays, but I can do Thursdays. It's a good commercial. I like that one. But yes, I'm going to try yoga. I'm uh, making no promises and there'll be no video. So if it doesn't go well, uh, I won't be able to tell you about it. But it, this won't be any uh, video-associated yoga, thank goodness for me. But I am as flexible as steel, at least I feel that way sometimes. So yoga, I'm excited about it. I see great things about it and, of course, uh, something I'm definitely interested in pursuing. Uh, moving on from my yoga experience, potentially, to Jim Harbaugh. He's talking about the head coach of Michigan, that he is comfortable playing games in empty stadiums this season, as college football attempts to hold the 2020 season amid the coronavirus pandemic, other sports, including Major League Baseball, greedy, greedy, the NBA and NHL have discussed returning to play games in front of no fans. And Harbaugh was asked about that scenario Wednesday. He said, quote, heck, yeah, I'd be comfortable coaching a game without any fans. I guess he would, because if uh, they're not winning, uh, then he can't get booed. Uh, just joking. But anyway, Harbaugh said if the choice were to play in front of no fans or not play, then I would choose to play in front of no fans. I think the most uh, darn near every guy he said that he's talked to on the team, that's the way we all feel about it. 
Harbaugh made multiple references to the need for testing for his players and staff. Michigan Stadium, of course, known as the Big House, holds over 107,000 fans. Harbaugh doubts a capacity crowd could be safely tested before game. And that's a question there, if you think about that, which I'm doing right now. 107,000 people, how soon would you have to get to the ball game to get the maybe the checking of your temperature or the testing? Uh, you're talking hours to get people safely into the stands if you were to do that for 107,000. Now, could you do that for 20,000 spread out throughout the big house to do it safely? I mean, you could, uh, but I just don't know if that's going to happen there. Uh, Harbaugh went on to say, I mean, you could definitely test both teams. You can test the officials and everybody, but could you test 100,000 fans coming into a stadium? Probably not. Probably not without a vaccine. You couldn't do that. The Big Ten Conference has suspended all team activities through at least June 1st, and NCAA will not mandate or oversee a return to sports. The college football season is still tentatively scheduled to start on August 29th, and Harbaugh says the Wolverines are preparing as if they'll be playing games this fall. Harbaugh went on to say as far as the season, everybody's preparing like there's going to be a season, he said, not even thinking in the way that there wouldn't. So getting ourselves ready, getting ourselves prepared. So, Jim Harbaugh is talking about the season happening and happening on time, circling August 29th. And, folks, wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it just be great to be able to have college football back? Here it is May 20th, and we're talking August 29th. But to have it back as we want it to be back, and many people are thinking it's not going to be the way we're used to, but it's going to be in some form or fashion. So we can only hope NASCAR started it off. Major League Baseball still debating about the money. We don't know if that's ever going to happen. But the Nationals, and I'll talk about this a little bit later, they're getting their rings in a virtual ring ceremony on Sunday, this Sunday. So that'll be exciting to see the Nationals get the rings. I wish it was in front of a sellout crowd, but that's not going to happen right now. So coming up next, it'll be Mike Bragg, the former punter for the Washington Redskins, my special guest. And we're excited about that. We thank you for joining us on Facebook Live as well as Sports 1061. Alongside Ben Madeline, I'm the Sports King, Jamie King, on this Wednesday. And we thank Burt Jones from Rustin, uh, the Rustin Rifle from Louisiana, joining us in Hour 1. And Mike Bragg right after the break. Don't go away. Don't touch that dial. We're going to find out about punting the Redskins and much, much more as the Sports King rolls on Wednesday morning. Hi, I'm Tim Cosgrove, General Manager at CMA's Colonial Honda. It's no secret that we are in uncharted waters, but that doesn't mean we should be afraid. Because now is an opportunity to do something heroic. We realize that this is the time to organize a blood drive, help our elderly neighbors with groceries, and assist local nonprofits. And that's exactly what CMA's Colonial Honda is doing. In fact, we set up a helpline to assist people in our community in any way that we can. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance, you can reach our CMA helpline at 434-220-8885. Again, our CMA helpline is 434-220-8885. And of course, if you're in need of any automotive help, we are taking extra precautions to keep our dealership clean. To learn more, visit CMA's ColonialHonda.com. We applaud you for helping one another during this time. You have inspired us to do the same. CMA's Colonial Honda, moving lives forward. Let's get back to the guy who said where there's a will, there's a relative. 
You're listening to Sports King right here on Sports 1061. We cannot be more excited. What a day it's been. And little did I know until Tom Heckler sent me a picture of our next guest, number four, Washington Redskins, the great punter, Mike Bragg, joins us. Mike, welcome to the Sports King Show. Hey, Jamie. Thank you. Good to be there. Hey, uh, well, our, our our one guest was Mr. Bird Jones, who when I looked at the picture Tom sent me, you're two... Uh, featured uh, two players away from him, so you guys teammates, and boy, this is a first for me having two teammates back to back like this. But you guys were on the Col- same Colts team. Yeah, even if, if it was just one year, <laughs> it was great. Hey, one year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when I look back at your career, and of course you're a Richmond guy, so boy, we're excited to have you because uh, born uh, in Richmond, Virginia, and of course uh, you've been a great punter in your Redskin career and. Folks, Mike Bragg, when you look at all the things he did for the Skins as a fifth-round pick, number 117 out of Richmond, um, before we get into your NFL aspect, can you go back to Richmond and, and when you came through high school and how uh, did you feel in terms of your growth through high school? When did it start becoming apparent, hey, I could do this at the collegiate level very good and, and maybe have a pro career? When did things start really coming together from you uh, athletically through high school maybe? When did things start uh, really coming together? Yeah, well, I think it started before that in Richmond because uh, 1958, I was on the uh, state championship Little League team out of Takahoe, uh, Little League, and uh, that was a great experience for me. And then uh, uh played some football at uh, Kanawa, which we had a great tradition back then of community football. And, of course, every kid growing up, you always wanted to – you know, emulate, you know, the stars that you saw, you know, in the big leagues, you know, whether it was baseball or football. Uh, just very fortunate to have some some great coaches along the way that, uh, you know, really, uh, you know, got into my head and said, okay, this is what you have to do, you know. Um, well, it was, and it was great, you know. So uh, uh, high school, unfortunately, well, fortunately, I you know, it's all good because I, w- I went to uh, Jeb Stewart two years in Falls Church. Uh, then I went to Stanton Military Academy my second two years. Uh, both great experiences for me, although tough. Military school wasn't fun at the time, but uh, it was something that I did. And if I hadn't have done that, I wouldn't have ended up at Richmond. So I ended up at the University of Richmond, and uh, while I was there, uh, we we had a 19-game losing streak. And when you have a 19-game losing streak, you probably don't make a lot of first downs. You don't score a lot of points. So uh, where, it, you know, it was unfortunate for the team, it was good for me because I had the opportunity to, to punt a lot. I was punting, you know, seven or eight times a game. Uh, and not, you know, if we had a great offense, you know, you punt two or three times a game. Right. So that that is where I really learned, you know, how to punt a football. And and I got a lot of opportunities. You know, uh, it's repetition, 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 and that's what I had. So, uh, 
I got on the map and, uh, you know, ended up with the Redskins. They were my team. Grew up in Virginia. Um, you know, so it was great. And, you know, now I've gone full circle. I've, I played and I've come back and I'm a fan again. Can you talk about going to Richmond, uh, what the Richmond community has meant to you throughout your career? Of course, going there to college and uh, how your experience was there as a member of that team? Uh, you mean University of Richmond? Yes. Yeah, well, it was tough because, you, know, uh, you know, when we went through a 19-game losing streak, the year after I leave, in 1968, my first year with the Redskins, University of Richmond goes to the Tangerine Bowl and wins. Uh, <laughs> you know, Bust O'Brien was quarterback. They had Walker Gillette, Jim Livesey, uh, Joe Kellum. Uh, I mean, just a bunch of great guys on the offense. That uh, And the coaches were great. I mean, those coaches uh, the, the under Frank Jones was the head coach. Uh, you know, I'm thinking, you know, Jim Tate. Lamar Leachman, Dale Hopped, both of those guys coached in the NFL. Lamar Leachman coached as uh, uh, Giants offensive line. Dale Hopped coached uh, for the Bears, the, the defense. Uh, so those guys were great teaching technique. And uh, so guys would come in raw. And, uh, you know, of course, you know, UVA, Virginia Tech, Maryland, we're getting all the, you know, top athletes. So the guys that were coming to Richmond were like, okay, these are the guys that are diamonds in the rough. You know, they're raw, they got talent. And, you know, just so happens that, you know, that great coaching staff developed them. And they won the, the Tangerine Bowl in 1968 and beat Ohio. And uh, I think they were ranked in the top 25 in the country after that. So that was, uh, that put Richmond, University of Richmond football on the map then. And our special guest, Mike Bragg, former Washington Redskin, great. And when you look at your career, of course, 11 game losing streak, you had plenty of opportunities. You're drafted in the fifth round, pick 117 by the Skins. When did you feel in your college career that, man, I could do this at the next level? And when did you start hearing some buzz that you may be selected? as a draft pick, and, of course, the fact you went to the Skins was your team. But when did things really start to come together in your college career where you felt, hey, I can take this next step? I think it was probably when I was a junior. Uh, when when Frank Jones came as uh, our head coach, um, he, he had been in uh, Mississippi State and the SEC, and, you know, that was a higher level than Richmond was at the time. And, uh, you know, I don't just, you know, experience and, you know, having done it, having done it. And, you know, I, I never knew, really knew I could do it until, you know, you do it. And, uh, and, you know, when I started with the Redskins, it was like, okay, wait a minute. They already had a good punter. Redskins had Pat Richter, who was a great punter, had been for years. And what happened when I was a when I was a rookie? They they put uh, Jerry Smith at wide receiver, who had been the tight end, moved him out wide. They put Pat Richter at tight end, and they brought Bobby Mitchell, who had been the wide receiver, back into the backfield. So the Redskins are thinking, you know, the the coaching staff is thinking, well, maybe we don't want to have our tight end 
you know, having to punt. You don't have to rely on him to punt. So, I mean, that's one of the reasons I made the team. Uh, when you look, I was going to say, when you look back at the Redskins, uh, the history of the specialists, and my son has been a kicker. He, he did a great job throughout high school and got uh, many scholarship offers. And the old saying about kickers, I always laugh when I hear this one as a former coach, you never really need a kicker until you need a kicker. <laughs> and yeah. uh, the, the, the fact about you had Mike Bragg, uh, you had Kurt Knight, later Mark Mosley. I mean, you had a great core of kickers and snappers. Can you talk about the fact the specialists uh, in Washington, uh, just a great group uh, that always seemed to be uh, respected widely everywhere because you guys were so dominant at your position and you just made it look so seamless. Right. Well, uh, you know, George Allen was the coach for the longest period of time that I was with the Redskins. It was seven years uh, through the 70s. And uh, we went to the playoffs five out of the seven years. So that's pretty remarkable in itself. Uh, he hired uh, you know, a special teams coach. So we never had a special teams coach before. And he just didn't hire a coach. He hired a guy that was in the Hall of Fame, that's in the Hall of Fame today, Marv Levy. So Marv Levy was our first special teams coach. Wow. So this guy was a brilliant coach in, in all phases of the game, but he ran special teams for us. So we, we knew the importance of special teams. And, you know, we were going to win two games on special teams play, whether it was returning a punt or blocking a punt or returning a kickoff or recovering a, an onside kick. And um, he would bring in people that were just good special teams players that probably could never start any place, uh, you know, in any other place. But they were great special teams players. Uh, and, you know, you know, Coach Allen loved the special teams. Uh, and I remember, you know, when Mark came in 1974, I believe, uh, I've never seen anybody work as hard as he did. And for me to to work out with him during our regular practice sessions, it was like, you know, you knew you were going to be in good shape. Because, uh, you know, we lifted weights, we ran, we did things that other uh, kickers and punters didn't do. You know, we wanted to, you know, get in with the, with the practice as much as we could. And so during one one set of uh, practice that was like a, 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 not the defensive drill, but it was kind of the, the drill that you went through before they went to the, the big drill. It wasn't a walkthrough. It was, it was pretty full speed. And, and Mark played quarterback and I played tailback just on the, uh, on the scout team. Uh, and, and later on, you know, I would like uh, snap for seven on seven. But it was, uh, you know, we thought of ourselves as athletes, not just a place kicker or a punter, you know. And, uh, you know, Mark played, uh, he started at Texas A&M before he went to uh, Stephen F. Austin, but he was, uh, he was a defensive back. And uh, I, play, I played uh, defense, I guess, a couple years. Well, one year, a couple games in uh, my junior year, but uh, – uh, you know, it was it was great time, and uh, we started out. We won. We turned 
a, a city of Washington, D.C. that was so hungry for a winner. Uh, and, and we had a, you know, we, we won. The first year Coach Lombardi came, we won. And unfortunately, he became ill and, and left us. But, uh, you know, when Coach Allen came, there was a lot of enthusiasm across the city. Uh, it, it was great. So, Can great you talk about, talk about the uh, differences with George Allen and Vince Lombardi, the similarities, and what impact Coach Lombardi left on you? He's only there briefly, but uh, the lasting uh, – reflections that you may have of his career and tenure there in D.C. and what he meant to you? Well, yeah, there were, uh, I mean, they were alike in their desire to win and they hated losing. I mean, that's pretty obvious. Uh, they were very good uh, uh, managers of of all facets of the game and, and de- attention to detail. And I think if, if, there's a, if there's a difference between the two, it's uh, like uh, Coach Lombardi – um, wanted to find a man, wanted to find an individual and see how far he could push him to make him a good football player because that's that's what he thought. You know, games are won and lost in the fourth quarter. So he would put so much pressure on you in practice. You know, you started practice exhausted because you would go through this, these calisthenics and these drills in the beginning of practice and you were exhausted. And and that's what he wanted to know, and he knew how to push you. And uh, you're playing Dallas. And Coach Allen calls Billy up and says, I need you to come back and play for a game. And he talked Billy out of retirement just just to come one, one game because he wanted him to come and block a punt. That's what he was really good at doing. What happens? Exactly like Coach Allen drew it up. Billy comes out mm-hmm. of retirement. Comes in one game against Dallas, he blocks a punt. So, uh, well, if you're going to block yeah. one, that's who you want to block it against. The Dallas Cowboys, of course. Uh, well, it was you know it was a great <laughs> experience being around. You know, both of them, either of them was were great coaches, uh, and you know all the teammates that I had that were uh, um, Hall of Fame guys and all pros and all that, and j- just amazed me, uh, you know, how good they were and their work ethic and, and uh, you know, really what kind of people they were. Of course, uh, 1968 draft, fifth round, pick number 117. Illustrious career, 13 years in the league, and, of course, all of that predominantly with the Redskins, with one year with the Colts. When you look back at your career, I mean, one of the 70 greatest Redskins of all the players that have worn the burgundy and gold to be in that exclusive list. Can you talk about that accomplishment and what it means to you? Well, here's, here's what happened. I was really lucky. Um, my, my first couple of years, uh, I just, I just punted the ball and without much thought about, you know, what the team aspect of it. And, uh, when Coach Allen came in and stressed special teams and every little uh, detail of what was taking place, he said, um, he told me, he sat me down and said, if you punt the football the way we want you to punt it, I'll make you the oldest punter in captivity. And that's exactly <laughs> the words he used. And uh, I said, okay. And he says, we want it up there. We want hang time before distance. He says, because if you punt the ball 50 yards 
down the field, you know, it might go 70 yards the other way. So he didn't want me to out bunch coverage. So I, I, I had to make the adjustment. I had to change my style and everything. That was, it was, you know, one of those things that sometimes, you know, you to learn something new, like in your golf swing or anything else, you know, you get out of your comfort zone. So I had to get out of my comfort zone and learn how to punt the ball a different way. And, uh, and so coach Allen liked that. And he, he, you know, I stayed around, um, you know, his seven years, it was, you know, very seldom that I had competition in training camp. Um, but you know, that's just one of the things that I was, I was lucky that happened to me, you know, um, Well, I'll tell you what, when we look at your career, folks, our special guest, Mike Bragg, number four, longtime punter of the Washington Redskins, and nearly a 1,000 punts. And you talk about how consistent he was, 39.8 average. Now, you can almost guarantee he's going to be 40 yards every time he kicked it. And you may say, well, did he have a big leg? Well, folks, his longest kick ever there was 74 yards. He had the leg. Don't make any mistake about that. As he just said so eloquently, he was in a position where he was doing what coach asked, and that was don't now kick your coverage, get the hang time. And if you remember Mike Bragg kicking, man, he could bring rain with his kicks. And that was something always appreciated because you allowed the special teams to get down there. And your consistency, when I look at you as a player and people say to me, well, what do you think about him as a player? Mike Bragg, to me, was so dependable, a guy that you could always depend on from a, a consistency standpoint. Is that what you take the most pride in in terms of your career, the consistency aspect? Uh, well, well, I would hope so. I would hope my golf game would, my wedge game would work <laughs> that way too. But uh, yeah, I remember, you know, I, like I said, I had great coaches all the way through college. Uh, you know, I had people that that weren't punters, that never punted a ball, but they knew enough about me that could watch me, and they knew what I was doing and when my mechanics got off and, you know, two of them were, well, Jim Tate, uh, at the university of Richmond and, and he got me kicking at the coffin corner. Cause if I ever kicked the ball straight up field and it went into the end zone, he was coming over and getting my face and why didn't you aim at the sideline? So that was one thing. And that benefited me long-term because, you know, when, when uh, when I got with the Redskins and you know I, I was good at doing that, I prided my I took pride in in being able to do that. Uh, there was another guy that worked me, with me, and his name was Don Dahl, and he was an All Pro. He was a safety. He he played with the Lions, uh, with Yale Larry back in the day, and of course Yale Larry was a great punter. He's in the Hall of Fame, um, um, primarily as a safety, but he was a great punter, and so Don Dahl who was our defensive back coach in, uh, in my rookie year. And, and, and he stayed with uh, the staff when coach Lombardi came and he knew me and he used to tell me, take the nose of that ball and point it right at the right upright. Because he says, when you get your back kicks, it's when that, when the nose of that ball turns inside and goes down. And, and he knew that from watching me and he just, uh, that was the way great coaches work 
Well, I'll tell you what, uh, he did it as well as anybody ever has in the Burgundy and Gold. Mike Bragg, our special guest, going to take a time out, come back and close it out with Mike. I have a few more questions. I want to ask him his thoughts on Pro Bowl punter Tress Way and find out what his thoughts are on the resurgence of the Redskins under Ron Rivera. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back with the Redskin great after these messages on the Sports King on Sports 1061. Hi, this is Mike Singletary, former Chicago Bear. Hall of Famer, you listen to my friend Jamie King, the Sports King on Sports 1061. Hi, sports fans. It's the Sports King for the Podiatry Center of renowned foot doctor, Dr. Paul Ross. Dr. Ross is an expert who develops individual game plans for the sole purpose of getting his patients back to 100% as quickly as possible. In my case, I wore soft casts, hard casts. I was in pain and I saw no relief. That is, until Dr. Ross came to the rescue. He restored my foot to the way it was originally, and he gave me the quality of life I so desperately wanted to return to. He can do the same for you. He has state-of-the-art techniques and strategies to ensure your pain and issues become a thing of the past. If you've tried the rest, do yourself a favor and now try the best. Call today. Two offices to serve you, Bethesda, Maryland, and Springfield, Virginia. That's the podiatry center of Dr. Paul Ross. For more information, go to paulrossdpm.com. That's paulrossdpm.com. Want to race the sports king? Call 804-327-0888. That's 804-327-0888. Learn it. Know it. Live it. Baltimore Colts legend, Bird Jones, the quarterback, the Rustin Rifle. We thank him. Hour two, our special guest has been the outstanding legendary punter for the Washington Redskins, Mike Bragg, a Richmond product, by the way, folks. So we love him even more for that. Of course, Central Virginia's own Mike Bragg. And, and looking at your numbers, of course, somebody on Facebook Live said, hey, he even kicked for us, too. Uh, one for one on field goals made, and uh, let's see, seven out of eight on extra point. What happened on the one you missed? Do you remember that one? I don't remember it. <laughs> I, I still want to know what happened, where that one was, because I don't remember it. I thought I was eighth grade. What's and going I on? I, and I was, I know I was two for two on field goals. Oh, there you go. Okay. And I, I well, kicked them both against the Rams. It was in nineteen seventy four. Mark's Mosley's first year. He pulled a. Uh, a muscle in his leg and couldn't kick. And uh, so it was a Monday night game. He injured his uh, leg and uh, the opening kickoff of the game. Wow. And then, then uh, he was, he, the last game of the season was with the bears at home. And coach Allen says, okay, Mark, just get well, because we're going to go back and play the Rams first game in the playoffs in 1974, which we did. Same thing happened. To Mark again. He thought his leg was well. Goes in, opening kickoff of the game, boom, pulls it again. And so he's out. So I get thrown in there. Uh, just, you. Uh, you know, it's always fun to do something different that you're not, that you don't usually do. But I was glad to fill in. Well, I was looking at a site, Hogshaven, and they were talking about, you know, the argument who was the Redskins' greatest punter of all time. 
And there's an interesting list. You were in the top three. Uh, they argued about it from different eras. You've got Sammy Ball, 45.1 yards per. You can't argue with Sammy, of course, Sling and Sammy. Matt Turk, another Redskin, uh, did some great things, 43.8 yourself. Uh, but the thing when I looked at you that I really uh, think folks fail to realize this, but you played in 172 games overall. Uh, you never missed a game. So once again, when I go back to consistency and the fact that we could always pencil you in and know that you're always going to be there, that's something, I guess, years later, you have to look and say, you know what, I was that dependable guy that never let my teammates down. Well, it's, that's nice to, it's nice to hear that. And I uh, hope, hope they felt the same way. It was, uh, you know, it was a great run. Uh, you know, I had my challenges few injuries here and there, but they were minor compared to what, you know, my teammates were going through. Um, you know, uh, you mentioned Tressway. Um, he, he's, 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 he might be the best punter ever, not just the best punter in the league right now. He is so powerful. Yes. He can, he can hit it long and he is a great directional punter. Now he's left-footed, right? Yes. And he and he kicks and he punts to his left. Most return teams or most all teams are right-handed, so they want to return to the right. So they if they get the ball and get a chance to return, they're going to return to the right. Being the fact that he punts the ball to to that side of the field and he puts it between the numbers and the sideline. The coverage knows how to I mean that condenses the whole field. That pins the return up to, to the sideline, and so the, the the coverage knows when they get out, they've got to beat their the guy that's dogging them down the field to that side of the field. And he's so consistent at doing it that you know, I mean, he, he, if if you ever miss and goes the other way, then then you might have a problem. But uh, yeah, he's uh, he, he's he's had a couple great years, all pro. I mean, that speaks for itself, and. I think he's going to have many more great years to come. Oh, he's special, no doubt about it. And I know you guys are a very tight fraternity. Uh, I've got to ask you this. Mark Mosley told us a story when he got his signing bonus way back when. It was $2,500. And now you're looking back 1968, the round five, pick 117. I can't imagine it was a uh, blockbuster financial deal at that point, but for you probably a good deal. Do you remember back then? Well, um, you know, everything was cheaper back then. Um, yes. But not to the extent. I mean, the the salaries and the things that these guys are getting today is tremendous. And, uh, I mean, so, there's no doubt in my mind they're better athletes. The guys today, all of them are, are better athletes. I don't know if they're as tough as some of the guys that I played with. I mean, those guys were were, were tough, but... You know, when you, when you look at a guy like Trent Williams and what he can do, um, you know, as a physical talent, I mean, he, he's he's a beast. Uh, yes. You know, uh, you know, so you know, we didn't have guys like that. Right. You know, but we had some we had some great athletes. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. We had some great natural athletes, big people that were just naturally big. So. When you look back, uh, the great years of the Redskins, when you were coming through and, of course, uh, into the 80s and early 90s, 
And the lack of success over these last nearly 30 years has just been uh, unbelievable for me as a fan and many of the Redskins fans that are listening and watching on Facebook Live. When you look at uh, the fact that we've had some good players but it never seems to come together, do you feel as a former Redskin great now with Ron Rivera that they've turned the corner, have the right man in place, and do you think that the blue skies are ahead for this organization? Well, uh, you know, I mean, that remains to be seen. Uh, we'll see what happens. We've, you know, we thought we had it before with, you know, with other people. It's, uh, it's a tough league. It's really tough. The game's a heck of a lot more technical than it ever was before with all the motion, all the movement. Put, you know, all the people that you're trying to, like, uh, you know, get mismatches. Uh, but, but it still comes down to blocking and tackling running the ball, catching the ball, throwing the ball, uh, and, you know, execution. So I, I think, you know, knowing um, just what a little history I do about Ron Rivera is that he played for the Bears under Mike Ditka. So that, you know, so, so look at that era. Think about Ditka, what Ron Rivera was able to do in Carolina. Can he do it again here? And I think it's just going to take time. People have got to be patient. I think they're trying to assemble uh, a defense. They've already got a lot of great personnel on defense. They're going to change the defense this year. They're going from 34 to 43. If they get the right kind of personnel. And offensively, they're they're trying to put some people around the young quarterback. And I, I never think you have enough offensive linemen. So I'm waiting to see how the offensive line is going to do because um, the greatest quarterback in the world can't throw from the seat of his pants on the ground. Um, so, I, you know, I'm always optimistic. Like, you know, I'm a fan. And this time of year I'm getting excited. I'm thinking, okay, well, I don't know what the schedule is, but you just take them one at a time. And uh, he's, he's talked about a change in culture. Yep. You know, what kind of culture it is, I don't know. But I think it's going to be one that, you know, uh, of you know, of, you know, having a positive attitude. We're going to turn this around. We're going to work really hard. You know, we're going to push one another to get better, and uh, you know, to see see where it goes. More uh, accountability. Like said, yeah, we we hope it'll be more accountable. Yeah, at this point. Uh, so I asked Mark Rippin a question. I said, Hey, Mark, you know, if we had to sign you to a ten day contract, send you out there, could you throw one deep in the final two minutes? You have that one left in you. And he would say, I don't think I could go deep downtown, but I could throw that 30, 35 yard out, at least get you first down. I asked Bird Jones earlier in the show if he could lead that final two minute <laughs> drill right now. Uh, and, and if he had it in him in that final 10 uh, day contract, if we could get him out there, he said, no, but I could probably hand off and I would do that. And we had a good laugh about that. So here we go. Can I trot number four out, 10-day contract? What do we got left? Do you have that one left in you turnover? Uh, your thoughts? Uh, I don't know. Anyway, come on, was, just uh, one now. Just one. Just one. I don't know. My leg might come off. So <laughs> So what are you doing now? We want to catch up with you on the personal side. What are you doing aside uh, once you left football? What are you into and uh, what's your daily uh uh, in terms of work now, um, I know you're uh, looking uh, in terms of, are you retired at this point? Or are you still doing some things in the business side? 
No, I'm I'm retired. I'm I'm waiting for these golf courses to get open again so we can get out and uh and 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 play some golf, you know, just uh that's basically it, you know. And Are you as consistent kid. golfing as you're kicking? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh I have my moments. Well, listen, ways. I I tell you what, it, it it is such a uh, joy to have you on. We can't thank you enough. We'd love to have you back when football season comes back. You're welcome anytime. One of the 70 greatest Redskins. And as I uh, get ready to send you off here, when you look at your entire career, all the big wins, all the averages, the complete games without ever missing one, the 70 greatest Redskins, is there one, and of course you played in the Super Bowl, one career highlight above all else? Well, I think a lot of the guys that played when – when I did, we'll tell you what I'm about to say, and that is uh, winning uh, the NFC Championship in 1972, and that was, of course, before we went to Super Bowl seven. Uh, and and playing an RFK in front of our home fans, the best fans in the NFL, and RFK Stadium was electric. Yes, I mean the energy in that place that evening was just spectacular. And from start to finish, it, it was just uh, – you could feel the energy from the fans on the field, and it, and it was just such a great feeling to to win that game. And that might have been the best game we ever played. Um, certainly that year, uh, that 72 season it was. And um, the whole town was electric after that. You know, we went out to dinner or wherever we went. You couldn't buy a drink. You couldn't buy anything. Everybody was – sending things to your table and uh it was just a it was a great time that's that's the one i remember more than uh because i want it's a positive note you know the, the super bowl itself was negative because right uh you know we we faced a one great football team uh miami dolphins that year nobody has ever equaled a 17 and 0 season and my hat's off to the dolphins well, I don't want to argue coach. now, but I, I always tell people this, and I know Sonny had the Achilles injury, and I always say this as a little bit of a side note. Had Sonny played, and I'm not going to say we would have won, but and nothing against Billy because he did a great job, but I think with Sonny out there on the aerial side, uh, I think it would have been a different story. Personally, I always feel that way, but it is what it is. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, Sonny would have made a difference. Um, I mean, he always did. He always did, and uh, not, you know, would it would we have won? Uh, I don't know. N- the next time we played the Dolphins in RFK, Sonny played, and we and we beat the Dolphins. So, uh, so there you go. There you go. It's hard to look back <laughs> and say what if. You know, right. you can always do that, but uh, you know, as George Allen would say, the future is now. You got to do it today. <laughs> right. Well, Mike. We can't thank you enough. Of course, one of the 70 greatest Redskins of all time. A great honor to have you on the show. We'd love to have you back and wish you continued health and success. And uh, hopefully uh, things get back to normal soon for everybody. We can enjoy a great NFL season ahead. But thank you for joining us today on the Sports King Show. Okay, Jamie. Thank you. My pleasure. You got it. You got it. Number four, Mike Bragg. Man, what a what a great one. 70 greatest Redskins, and he was a mark of consistency. I'm telling you what, 
uh, nearly a thousand kicks, almost 40 yards every time. And boy, did he have the leg. He just did what George Allen said, and he did it as well as anybody ever has. Taking a timeout, we'll be right back to close it out. You're listening to Sports King on Sports 1061. Hi, sports fans. This is former Washington Redskins quarterback and Super Bowl 26 MVP, Mark Griffin. You are listening to my favorite sports show, The Sports King, hosted by my great friend, Jamie King, on Sports 1061. Looking for a top-tier university that is affordable? Coastal Carolina University offers more than 100 undergraduate and graduate programs designed to help you earn your degree. Visit coastal.edu and learn more about the coastal commitment to student learning and student-led research. Coastal Carolina University is consistently ranked as a top best value university in the South. Visit coastal.edu to learn more and schedule your campus tour. Hi, I'm Tim Cosgrove, GM at CMA's Colonial Honda. It's no secret that we are in uncharted waters, but that doesn't mean we should be afraid because we are doing everything we can to keep our dealership clean and offering delivery services to minimize exposure. We've also opened a helpline for assistance of any kind, including grocery or medication pickup. Please call our CMA helpline at 434-220-8885. Visit cmascolonialhonda.com to learn more. CMA's Colonial Honda, moving lives forward. You're listening to a man whose yoga instructor asked him how flexible he was. And he replied that he couldn't do Tuesdays. It's the Sports King on Sports 106.1. And welcome back to Wednesday edition of the Sports King. Alongside Ben Maitland, I'm the Sports King, Jamie King. If you'd like to get in with a question before we get off the air, give us a call 804 804-327-0888, 804-327-0888. Want to let you know on the Sports King Show, we can't thank the Rustin Rifle. That is Bert Jones, our one special guest. And we just finished with Mike Bragg, the longtime Redskin punter. Boy, he was a great one for so many years. Tomorrow on the show from the Sports Junkies, our special guest will be, they call him Lurch. Jason Bishop, of course, went to DeMatha High School, one part of the foursome of the, the Junkies. We'll talk to him about their long-term career and how success has followed them and find out about his background. He loves golf and a lot of other aspects. We'll talk about that. And then it will be Roman Gabriel, the closing out uh, this week. We're off on Friday and Monday in observance of Memorial Day. Roman Gabriel can't wait for that tomorrow on the Sports King Show. Another legend of the game. And it's so funny that Burt Jones and Roman Gabriel, I just talked to both of them and uh, watched these guys growing up. And when you talk to them, they're like, oh, I'm nothing special. I'm just an old country boy. And I'm like, wow, you know, these guys are so humble, even though they've done such amazing things, MVPs of the league, and yet they just consider themselves just average guys, and it's amazing. Hey, want to turn our attention to have some sad news from the WWE. A body found early Wednesday near Venice Beach, California, matches a description of former WWE star Shad Gaspard, who went missing while swimming near the area on Sunday. Captain A.J. Lester of the Los Angeles County Fire Department Lifeguard Division told USA Today Sports uh, that uh, two people discovered the body, washed ashore, and called 911. Authorities who arrived at the scene uh, said the discovery was Gaspard, and, of course, he was uh, 39 years young, believed to have been swimming with his 10-year-old son when a lifeguard saw two individuals struggling 50 yards off the shore after a wave crashed over him that they didn't see coming. His son, Array, was uh, rescued by lifeguards, the family said in the statement, so good news on that side. Uh, rescue crews conducted a search for the missing person, and uh, his body was discovered. Once again, sad news in the world of the WWE is Shad Gaspard, 39 years old, 
uh, passed away there. I uh, want to let you know uh, some other news uh, on a more light uh, type note. Boomer Sison has blasted the Cincinnati Bengals. Former quarterback called their uniforms horrific and calls for an immediate redo. Uh, so Joe Burrow uh, may get some new uniforms. Uh, Bengals quarterback Boomer Sison didn't hold back how he felt about the franchise's new uniforms, calling the Bengals uh, need to replace them as soon as possible. The one thing I will say, he said, going into next year, the Bengals are going to have to redo those uniforms. They are just absolutely horrific. I don't like them. He said on CBS Sports Radio, Boomer and Geo Show, Sison, of course, played for the Bengals from 84 to 92, was NFL MVP in 88. He said said the orange and black combination has been designed well by Oklahoma State's NCAA football team. He also said the iconic orange helmet, while he's a fan, could be replaced with a white helmet to go with the color rush jerseys. They've just got too much stuff going on, as I said, too much orange, too many things happening on that uniform. They need to uh, tone it down. It's hard to tone down tiger stripes, but you can. And I think that the jerseys over the last couple 15 years have just not been going all that well so the Bengals are ushering joe burrow into those uniforms so it's going to be interesting to see what the Bengals are going to do maybe they should reach out to joe exotic he's got time on his hands maybe he could uh anyway it's my tiger king reference i apologize for that but uh so boomer not happy with the cincinnati Bengals jerseys in their current form and joe burrow is going to have to wear those jerseys so it's interesting to see what's going to happen there so that's some of the news there. we got some more news for you. Of course, uh, this deserves applause, Ben Maitland. Magic Johnson, the great Laker guard, has decided to move forward and provide $100 million in loans to minority-owned businesses. The Hall of Famer announced Tuesday that the company for which he owns a majority will be giving $100 million donation and capital funding to federal loans for minority and women-owned businesses. This is great stuff, Magic. Equity Trust Life Insurance Company, thank you so much, Ben, of which Johnson has held a majority stake since 2015, is taking aim at helping the business owners hit hard economically by the coronavirus pandemic, Johnson, the CEO of his own company, Magic Johnson Enterprises, collaborated with MBE Capital Partners to distribute the loans, which will be given through the Small Business Administration's Paycheck Protection Program. Congress initial allotment of three forty nine, uh, three hundred forty nine billion for PPP funds ran out in April, and Johnson has stepped forward and wants to help minority businesses and women owned businesses. And boy, that is something great. When you talk about Magic Johnson and all the great things he does. Uh, folks, uh, he owns movie theaters, he owns so many businesses, but he gives back so much. And I think when you look at Magic as a player and as a person, a lot that gets uh, not talked about as much is the fact that he does so much for his community and surrounding communities and deserves a lot of credit. want to let you know that Sunday it's going to be the big match they've been talking about. It's going to be the Champions for Charity at Medalist Golf Club in Hobie Sound. The event's going to feature, of course, Tiger Woods, Peyton Manning, taking on Phil Mickelson and Tom Brady in a best ball match. They're going to raise more than $10 million for COVID-19 relief efforts. Congratulations to you guys. Cheers for all of you. Uh, Woods says uh, no matter what it uh, he does in terms of competition, he's going to compete, and this is going to be something he takes seriously as well. They're going to have a lot of fun with it. And I can tell you this, there is going to be some really big smack talking on this event. So uh, Woods and Mickelson will be going at each other, and I'm sure the other two are going to hear it. But to see the needle pulled out early in this one and hear these guys going at each other with uh, Brady 
uh, of course, and Manning going at it, and then Wood, uh, Woods and Mickelson going at it. It's going to be something to behold. I think you're really going to enjoy this. It'll be something that uh, exactly. Uh, it's going to be very enjoyable to watch this. How the four of them are going to rib each other all day. And whenever you play with Tiger, they say when it's a fun type event, he's going to pull out the needle and uh, he's going to make you, uh, you know, pay for it in terms of the joking that's going to happen probably throughout this entire event. I can't wait to see this. Want to let you know, moving on to the horse racing, that the Belmont Stakes is going to be held on June the 20th, three months before the Kentucky Derby, without fans in attendance. So Belmont, Belmont New York, uh, the non-traditional Triple Crown uh, for horse races this year was fully realized Tuesday when the New York Racing Association announced that Belmont would be run on June 20th, nearly three months before the Kentucky Derby at a much shorter distance, one and one eighth miles. The race will be run without fans in the stands. According to NYRA president and CEO Dave O'Rourke, the NBC will present three hours of live race coverage, according to a news release. While this will certainly be a unique running of this historic race, we are grateful to be able to hold the Belmont Stakes in 2020, O'Rourke said. The Belmont date was the final piece of the puzzle in rearranging the Triple Crown season amid the COVID-19 pandemic as the Kentucky Derby made an early announcement that it would be moved to September 5th. Last week, the Maryland Jockey Club announced October 3rd as a new date for the Preakness Stakes, meaning the spacing between the races would be twice as long as normal. Finding a date for the Belmont to keep the Triple Crown race in order was always going to be tricky as a primary goal for most horse owners and trainers in the fall as the Breeders' Cup on November 6th and 7th, which offers a $7 million purse for the Classic. Having the $1 million Belmont in late October and November means horses couldn't run in both races. It would not make sense in those circumstances. So this is exciting news. So the Belmont has been moved, and of course, so have the others. So it's going to be the biggest gap between them. Uh, so if you win the Triple Crown this year, it's going to be a situation where it's going to be the survivor of uh, who can get through that long layoff and uh, hopefully get through it. So we want to let you know that's going to wrap it up today. We want to thank, once again, the Rustin Rifle, Burt Jones from Louisiana. Thanks so much to Burt and our two. Mike Bragg, the outstanding punter for the Redskins, our special guest today on Sports King Show. We thank all of you and all of our sponsors out there, and we hope you guys are doing well. Hope you're safe, and please, if you can, donate uh, to the Red Cross. They're in short supply of blood, and if you can donate anything to our FeedRichmond.org program, uh, of course, $1 can provide four meals for those in need. So anything you can ever do to help people, please do, and we are seriously here committed at Summit Media and the Sports King Show to help anybody we can in our communities to make sure everybody has something. Uh, we've got to have food every day to make sure that the neighbors out there are being looked out for and all the folks that are in need, please, if you can, give and do your part. And we're going to get through this one step at a time, one day at a time. And we thank you so much. Tomorrow, once again on the show, don't forget, uh, Jason Bishop from the Junkies will join us. And then that's followed by... You know him, NC State, uh, great. Went on to the L.A. Rams and ended up with the Eagles. Roman Gabriel, he's been in movies. He's been, man, he's done so much. Of course, NFL MVP. We've had a slew of NFL MVPs this week on the Sports King Show. We thank them all. Don't forget, it all starts here on the uh, Sports 106.1 tomorrow morning. The Big Al Show, Sports Phone, uh, 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. We follow that up 10 a.m. to 12 noon. And immediately following my show momentarily, it'll be the Los Angeles area with Jim Rome in the jungle. Don't miss Jim Rome. He does such a great job coming up momentarily. For Ben Maitland and uh, the Sports King, Jamie King, we'll see you back tomorrow. Special guest, Roman Gabriel. Don't miss it. Have a great day, everybody.